0: Today we're continuing on in our epiphany series, uh, following the, the lectionary. In year, we're in year A, uh, if you are following along at home. Uh, I am thoroughly convinced that the lectionary is more prophetic than I'll ever be. Uh, I think the church moves in seasons uh, as a whole, and we're all moving along these kind of themes. And I, I'm just amazed week after week at, at the, the themes coming up in the lectionary. Uh, And our passage this morning is continuing right along where Father Rob left off last week. That Jesus is continuing on in his Sermon on the Mount, where he's not undoing the law. Rather, he's giving new commandments for his followers to actually fulfill the law. Uh, He isn't calling his his new followers to a higher standard of purity and holiness. and, And he is, sorry, he is calling his followers to a higher standard of purity, a higher standard of holiness. And he didn't come to relax the law. Right? We often think Jesus came with grace, and so everything in the Old Testament is irrelevant. All the commands of God, like the Ten Commandments, are, are, are relevant in an old covenant. Now there's a new covenant that's a whole lot easier. The reality is he came to fulfill the law. Why? Not because his new followers would, would be better than the others. Not because they were less capable of sinning. Rather, it's because in the new covenant, we are brought into union with Christ, We are brought into the person of God. We are united with Christ, given his spirit, and we're made into his likeness. And and as Father Rob preached last week, we are salt and we are light. And I I always love the language of we are salt. We always go, I'm I'm meant to be like salt, or I'm meant to be like light. He's going, no, 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 you are that. It's a, a matter of who you are. That we are called to be just as Christ is to the world. That, that everyone around us is meant to be impacted by the reality of our Christ-likeness by the power of his Spirit. And so he takes fundamentally broken and sinful humanity, all of us, in all of our weakness, in all of our brokenness, and in all of our pain, and he, by his Spirit, transforms us into something glorious. And, and for those who wholeheartedly and truly turn to him. For those who are are reliant on him in every aspect of their life and choose to abide in him every moment of every day, his grace is transformative. That it actually changes who we are from the inside out. By truly turning to Christ, the promise of the gospel is that there will always be fruit. You can't turn to Christ and not have a positive impact. Further, God profoundly loves us. He loves each and every one of us. Therefore, if we know if at the base level of our belief that God loves us, then we can actually believe that God's will for us is good. And whatever he asks of us is for good things. That if God loves us, he's not gonna ask us for anything that doesn't produce gospel fruit. But because he loves us, he's going to ask us to do many things, and every single one of them is for our betterment. Not to harm us, not to restrict us, not to stifle us. That his love and his law are freedom. And I think we need to get that this morning, especially going into a season of Lent. God's ways produce freedom. That's good news, friends. And our reading today is Matthew 5, 21 to 32. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. But before I read it, just an admission, this is a pretty tough passage. Uh, it isn't the easiest passage for us to hear, but what I do know is it's, it is the words of Jesus. And when I've reflected over this epiphany season, I originally hadn't planned on doing the lectionary, felt the Lord lead me back to the lectionary, and I think he's given us this kind of vein of life that's on offer for us. And you could feel it in worship today, that as we've been digging into the truths of the gospel, as we've been digging into the reality of Christ's light shining in our hearts, his spirit is profoundly close to us. We, have, we are finding a vein, I think, as a church, and, and so I just encourage you this morning to enter into the vein that God has us on, which is a vein of repentance, which is a vein of broken people turning to the grace and to the kindness of God, because in the grace and the kindness of God is true life. So what we do know, tough passage, but it's a passage said by Jesus, who is kind, who's compassionate, who's merciful, who's full of grace and full of truth, They're his words written by Matthew, they're for us, for our benefit, and if it's for us, it's for our life. So I've been reflecting, before we get into it, on the liturgy. The liturgy can easily become something we just do and say. But it's passages like this, where when we say, thanks be to God, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, this is when we really need it. When it confronts us with the reality of our own humanity, we go this, which I don't want to hear, is actually the word of Jesus, and our hearts erupt in worship. Because his love is gracious, and his kindness is merciful, and it's for our life. Let's read together. Matthew 5, verse 21 to 32. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Hear the contrast. But I say to you, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the, judge and to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye "'causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. "'For it is better that you lose one of your members "'than that your whole body be thrown into hell. "'And if your right hand causes you to sin, "'cut it off and throw it away. "'For it's better that you lose one of your members "'than that your whole body go into hell. "'It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, "'let him give her a certificate of divorce. "'But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Friends, the, the nature of our salvation is that of an ontological change. We have talked about this over and over. Who we are, the core of our being, has been transformed utterly and completely into the likeness of Christ. Before salvation, our predisposition is towards that of sin. However, when we're brought into union with Christ, when who we are has been transformed into his image, our disposition fundamentally is for God and for life. However, we consistently choose to live according to the old man. We consistently choose to choose our anti-nature. We don't choose God. We choose to, to follow something that isn't actually for our own good. And anything outside of his ways, for us, will be destructive. This week, I've been meditating on the end of Deuteronomy, the death of Moses, and his calling to Israel, which is to choose life and not to choose death. He's saying, you have the option before you. Choose life and choose blessing, or choose death and choose a curse. And friends, each one of us, day by day, the second that we wake up in the morning, we have laid before us two choices, choose life or choose death. And it's become far too easy in my own life and probably some of your lives to choose death, especially in these kind of small, seemingly insignificant ways that just slowly kill you. They tear you down, they break down your defenses, one by one, little decision after little decision, we choose sickness and death. And so Jesus, on the the Sermon on the Mount, is explaining that it's no longer sufficient for his followers to just look at the extreme end of sinfulness. So you can't just go, well, at least I'm not a murderer. At least I'm not committing adultery like other people. Jesus goes as far as to say in verse 22, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's serious business. Verse 28, but I say to you again, note the contrast, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart he's calling his followers not even to open the door to sin that sin every time will lead us to death and devastation and he's saying don't even don't even open the smallest crack to that kind of life and jesus is he's addressing the the religious elite of israel and yes they believed in the scriptures they're keeping the 10 commandments and they're keeping the rigidness of the law, but he's saying, your hearts aren't transformed. You're content to go, I'm not murdering, but they have rage and hatred within them. That the best of human behavior, the best of human piety is insufficient for our salvation. But it's nothing short of radical, Holy Spirit-infused transformation that allows us to live as disciples, as salt and light to the world. And Jesus is saying, shut everything out that keeps you from me and by my Spirit, live into the reality of your salvation and be salt and be light in the world. So He's saying, you've heard don't murder, you understand the bible says don't murder but i'm offering you a better interpretation than just don't murder and i'm offering you a better way of life than being content in not being a murderer friends our, our, we've talked about this in epiphany our relationship with god is revealed in the ways that we treat one another we've said it a lot true love true following true repentance has action It can't just be, well, I don't murder anyone, but if our hearts are full of hatred and our actions towards someone else are bitterness and judgment and condemnation, our hearts are showing a lack of transformation. Bonhoeffer, in his great book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this, because we are justified by faith, faith and obedience have to be distinguished, but their division must never destroy their unity which lies in the reality that faith only exists in obedience, is never without obedience. Faith is only faith in deeds of obedience. Do you need me to read that again? Okay. Because we are justified by faith, faith and obedience have to be distinguished. That's that's the foundation of salvation, saved by grace through faith. But their division must never destroy their unity which lies in the reality that faith only exists in obedience, is never without obedience. Faith is only faith in deeds of obedience. So in our, in our anger, in our insulting, in our refusing to reconcile, or our refusing to see the, the worth of someone else in our lust, we are essentially dehumanizing and de-image bearing our brothers and sisters that we go to church with each and every week. We are choosing death when we choose to walk in disobedience to the the way of life that Christ has given us. And Jesus is commanding everyone to completely and utterly shut the door in our hearts and our minds to the path that will lead us to drastic sinfulness and inner death. Friends, his way of life is his love for us. He's saying if if you're never even angry, you're never actually going to get to murder. That's how he fulfills the law. If you never even allow lust to have a foothold in your heart, you'll never, ever get to the point of adultery. So He's saying don't simply aim to not murder. Don't allow yourself to hate someone or resent someone. Don't take a position of superiority that could call someone stupid or an idiot or a fool. Don't be mean-spirited. To lust is to covet. It's to objectify, it's to to fantasize about someone that you really have no right to do that. Craig Keener says this in a commentary on Matthew. Lust demands possession. Love values, respects, and seeks to serve other persons with what is genuinely good for them. Lust is incompatible with the acknowledging God as the supreme desire of our hearts because it's contrary to his will. I'll read that again lust demands possession. Love values, respects, and seeks to serve other persons with what is genuinely good for them. Lust is always incompatible with acknowledging God as the supreme desire of our hearts because it's contrary to his will. Friends, good works are not the goal. Don't hear that this morning. Rather, good works are the outflowing of a life that has God as the supreme desire of our hearts, of being transformed and renewed in God, and in choosing life and his way day by day. Often i, I found myself in, in situations where I don't even know how I got there. I can, I can say something or do something, and when I look objectively, I'm like, How did I get to this place that those words could come out of my mouth? You ever fight with your wife and it just escalates and escalates and escalates and you just drop something and you go, wow, that's in me. I I don't even know what I did to get to this place. I I, I had a friendship uh, years ago that over a a long period of time disintegrated into a, a place of almost hatred. Uh, there, there was offense, uh, there was hurt towards one another, uh, and by the end neither of us even could handle being in the same room as one another. It was deep bitterness, deep resentment, and when reconciliation began, in truth, I, I could only remember the few, a few of the things that made me that angry, uh, and the same for the other guy. And the, the truth was most of that offense didn't warrant how far it got. It got to the point where it was pure hatred in my heart. Though the the offenses were real pain, I opened the door to death in my life and in my actions, and what happened was death and decay penetrated every aspect of the relationship and every aspect of my heart. It's about a thousand small choosing of death that leads us to destruction. And the, the truth is, when our hearts are hardened and calloused, they become desensitized to sin. Even seemingly small sins. And we find ourselves doing things that seem incomprehensible to us. And incomprehensible to who Christ has made us to be. Completely outside of his way and completely outside of his love on offer for us. And this is Jesus' point. If we, if we open the door to little things, those little things will breed death, 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 until it's massive. And the consequences of judgment aren't small. In fact, he says, even our offerings of worship towards him, when we live with callous hearts to one another, walking in anger, walking in lust, walking in division, are not even accepted at the altar. And I don't want to understate that. Perhaps, I think, sometimes when we come to church and personally we're feeling disengaged with God. Personally, we can't enter into worship. Personally, we feel like there's no grace at the table. We feel nothing of God. Perhaps it's because our heart isn't radically transformed by him. We're not coming to him in brokenness and weakness and repentance, and he's going, you can't actually give me that offering. And he says, first be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift of worship. First, recognize your need. First, recognize your brokenness. First, recognize your sin, and then I will accept you freely and wholly, because he delights in broken people who are in desperate need of salvation. And because our hearts have accepted, I think, seemingly small sins, seemingly insignificant bad decisions, like anger, like insulting others, like lust. We we lose the gravity of the impact of sin on our spiritual lives. And not just our own lives, but on the community as a whole. When we choose death, we experience and and live into death. And we find ourselves desensitized and feeling distant from God, who fundamentally is our life. If If you reflect on your heart and your life, if you feel aspects that are just so dead, the invitation is meet Christ there. Jesus doesn't hesitate to give a solution, and, and it's a strong solution. If your right eye, verse 29, causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the message, friends. Don't hold on to anything that is keeping you from Christ. Anything. Don't hold on to anything that produces death in your heart. Even if the world promises you that this is the answer to life, if it isn't from Christ, throw it away. I couldn't help but think this morning of the serpent's lie to Eve in the garden. Did he truly say that if you eat of the fruit, you'll die? Did he really say that? Is just dabbling a little bit actually going to kill you? And he speaks the same lie to each and every one of us, every single day. Are you sure that's going to be bad for you? It can't be that bad. It's not, it's not bad for them. Why would it be bad for you? And though he's speaking figuratively, Jesus, the point still stands. Not that we have to cut off our arms and gouge out our eyes. Maybe more practically, if Instagram is causing you to sin, delete it. Go to a flip phone. I'm convinced no one should ever have TikTok. Just because I think it's a weird app. If you're married and you find yourself tempted at work, flirting at work, quit your job. Gouge at your eyes, cut your arms. In other words, there is nothing too much to say, I don't want death, I want life. It's better to suffer, he's saying, it's better to suffer on the earth. It's better to be blind than to lust. It's better to suffer on this earth, to lack in this world, than to give ourselves to evil and face the judgment of God. And in in truth, Romans 1 tells us the judgment of God is actually just giving us over to our sinful desires. Where he goes, oh, you want that? You can have it. But day by day, moment by moment, it will eat us up. And it will bring death and decay and destruction to the point that we don't even realize it's happening. And then we find our hearts hard and calloused and desensitized and going, how did, how did I get here? But he has a better way for us. He says, choose life. And, and I think there's an element in, in our discipleship that he is inviting us to actually take responsibility for our lives. It's easy to, to blame someone else it's easy to, to rid her, it's easy to go, it's not my fault. It's, it's not, it's, it's my pain, but I'm only doing this because they did this to me. And he's saying, no, rid yourselves of all of that. Take responsibility of who you are and the things that you choose and the things that you keep succumbing to and enter into my life. The Lord has been calling this church to a renewed purity and a renewed discipleship. He's been calling us to a a wholehearted faith, not because he just wants us to be better, but because his ways bring about life and fruitfulness. And he's saying, I want you to live fully alive exactly the way I made you to be. I want Bev Niebuhr to be fully alive as Bev Niebuhr. And that means cutting some things and choosing Christ. And that's true for each one of us. He does not want life to be restricted and stifling, but he does say anything that isn't me is going to be restrictive and stifling in death. Friends, we know that we are made for this. We know when we look into the heart of hearts, we are made for life in Christ. We are made to be wholehearted disciples that seek nothing but Jesus and Jesus alone. But the cost of discipleship is a wholehearted rejection of the world and an utter embracing of Christ and his ways. Young men, I think your phones are killing you. Porn, the stats on porn are outrageous. And it is so accessible in this generation more than it's ever been in any generation before. It is not worth having a phone if we are drawn to pornography. That's true of any sin. And I think many of us, we've actually just, we forget who we are. We forget who we are in Christ and who we're made to be. And we need this reminder of, oh, we're made to be alive. We're made to be fruitful. We're made to be on mission, like Father Rob preached, bringing salt to the world, bringing a flare of life, scaring off evil. That's who we are. That's what we're made for. But we forget it because because death has become so normal in our hearts. Uh, many, Many of you know, years ago I got in a car accident whiplash, uh, discovered that I had arthritis in my spine, Uh, eventually I got really used to back pain. And people go, does your back hurt? And I'd have to think about it and go, yeah, I guess it does always hurt. But if I'm not thinking about it, I don't even notice the pain. But when it's acknowledged, I go, oh no, actually, I'm always kind of in back pain. This is what sin has become. It's become common and easy, and when we don't think about it, when we don't acknowledge it, we don't even realize it's there because slow decay means desensitization to things that aren't of God. Whether it be anger or adultery, lust, theft, gossip, drunkenness. Rob read a whole list last last week. Do you know you're actually living with death? When when I looked at our our lectionary passage this week, my heart actually sunk a little bit. Um, But I I read all of them. And for the first time, I went, oh, all three of these are are so relevant. And they always are relevant together. But this one just seems so apparent to me. Uh, The epistle is from 1 Corinthians 3. uh, First nine verses. But I want to read verses 16 and 17, which are the kind of climax of the chapter. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Friends, this is what Paul is saying. Don't forget who you are. Don't let sin tell you who you are. The reality of salvation is that you are God's temple. You are more in Christ than you could imagine. You are more united to Christ. The Spirit of God is more in you than you could ever know. So much that you are personally and corporately the house of God. And our lives are either building up God's temple or tearing it down. Everything we do is either unto life or unto death. And our sin, no matter how seemingly small or inconsequential, personally and for that of the whole community, impacts the temple of God. And Christ is inviting all of the hearers of this message to a life of radical transformation, saying you don't even have to live with anger. Yes, you have anger, but that doesn't define you. You don't have to live as a slave to anger. Yes, currently you lust, but you don't have to live as a slave to lust and to death. Your inevitability is not necessarily adultery. He's saying, I can offer you a life free of it. I can offer you a life fully alive, in my spirit, full of God that is free of anger, free of lust, free of gossip, free of slander, so long as you come to me and choose life. Choose to, to wholeheartedly follow after him. Choose a life of profound importance, profound fruitfulness, joy, hope, peace. But it can't be both. It can't be a life fully immersed in the world and fully immersed in Christ. He doesn't really want one foot in and one foot out. It's one or the other. Again, you are salt. You are light. You can't be partially salty. There isn't a half light. Light doesn't have 50% properties, it's either all light or not. And I think when we assess our lives, we can see our priorities and go, do I actually value the way of the Lord? The, the Old Testament passage this week was Psalm 119, which is just a beautiful psalm. You can put up verses 9 to 16. Beautifully shows us another way. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word guarding, it's active, it's intentional. That we would actually guard the purity of our lives and our hearts. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I-, I love the word wandering. It's not running to sin, it's kind of aimless living, I think. When I read wandering, I think of just you're going about your day fairly unintentionally and you can kind of wander off. I walk crooked if I'm not paying attention. I don't know why, I always kind of just go sideways. But if I pay attention, I can walk straight. But I think that's, that's kind of how life goes. We just go about our business and you just kind of slowly wander off. I've stored up my word in my heart, stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Oh, I love that. In the way of testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Friends, where, where have you forgotten who you are? Where have you forgotten what he's made you to be in the glorious union of our salvation? Where have we forgotten his word? Because his words are our life. Eugene Peterson has a, a book we have at the back called Eat This Book, and it's about inwardly digesting the word of God because that's our true food. Where have we forgotten our true food, our true source of life? Where have we forgotten the reality of our salvation, forgotten that we are completely and utterly transformed and renewed in Christ, and have settled by choosing destruction? Where have we settled by allowing sin, even seemingly small ones, small judgments, small insults, small angers, small lusts, to penetrate our hearts? Where are we holding on to something that is nothing short of a disease that's corrupting everything you are? And if you think through things, like when I say get rid of your phone, you went, that's not going to happen. Maybe we actually need to go, oh, there's something to that. I'm not saying you have to get rid of your phone, but it at least shows us, oh, there are things that we will not give up for Jesus. And Jesus invites us through confession, through repentance, to to, to cut off the things that are killing us, to take them from us so that we can be fully alive in him. Jesus does not look at our brokenness and our weakness and our sinfulness and turn us away. It's when we don't acknowledge that reality and try to come to him anyways, he goes, whoa, I don't need someone who doesn't need me but you in your weakness, you in your pain, you in your sin, when we turn to him to say, I need nothing but you in order to be alive, he delights in us. Friends, the invitation is to meditate on Christ. As we prayed last week, to set our minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. To fix our eyes on things that give life and cut off and rip off anything that holds us back. In closing, as the team comes forward, I want to read the, the words of Moses to Israel before his death in Deuteronomy 30. Verses 19 to 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Why? For he is your life and your length of days that you may dwell in the land that the lord swore to your fathers to abraham to isaac and to jacob to give to them friends come to him today come in invulnerability and weakness and humility and repent be transfigured by his glory choose life receive a promise better than a strip of land promise to Abraham. Receive the promise of God's kingdom which will penetrate your heart and your soul and transform you into his likeness. And let Christ be your life all your days. We turn to the table. I'm going to take a, a moment to just allow the Spirit to speak to you. How we choose life, how we choose Christ is primarily through our repentance. It's through acknowledging our weakness. We go, we we don't want to choose worldly death, which has corrupted me, so I want you to cut off all of these things. All of my weakness, all of my pain, and breathe the life of heaven into me.